0: Hello everyone, and thank you for tuning in to the From Starving to Savvy podcast for independent artists. Here, we share stories from artists, arts administrators, and other professionals working at the intersection of art and technology. Together, we work to interrogate the landscape of the arts industry and attempt to inject a refreshed sense of optimism to unravel the narrative of the starving artist. From Starving to Savvy is funded and produced by Last Draft Incorporated, a story company that specializes in online branding and expression for artists, entrepreneurs, and professionals with personality. I'm your host, Renee Coughlin, and you're listening to From Starving to Savvy. Hello everyone and welcome to episode six of From Starving to Savvy. We are so excited that you're back to listen to another one of our guests share their stories. This week we are here with Guillermo Subaste. Guillermo is a music producer, multi-instrumentalist, recording engineer, and video live stream consultant. He's been involved in the music scene in Lima, Peru, Banff, Alberta, in Canada, and is currently based out of Toronto, Ontario, where he has been for the last nine years. He has worked on a number of albums, including ones by the Sadies, Misha Berger-Gossman, Connor Gaines, Kike Escamilla, and many more. He's also worked with Sarah Harmer, Good Lovelies, Said the Whale, Stars, Gord Downey, Randy Bachman, Gordon Lightfoot, Kathleen Edwards, Buffy St. Marie, and Joel Plaskett. And the list goes on and on and on <laughs> in our conversation Today, we are diving into the parts of Guillermo's journey that have given him the impressive resume that he holds today. If you're anything like me, sometimes it can be really easy to talk yourself out of trying new things. Guillermo is here to teach us a lesson about how to talk yourself into things, to follow your instincts, engage your curiosity, and never stop learning. Hello, Guillermo. Hello. How are you? Great, and you? Good. Nice to see you. Thanks for doing this.
1: My pleasure. Thanks for inviting me.
0: It's no problem at all. We're so excited to have you. Um, I'm wondering if we can just kind of get right into it. And if you'll start us off by telling just a little bit about how your relationship with music started.
1: Uh, Well, I'm originally from Lima, Peru. Um, So for sure, my first like... You know, music appreciation happened uh, on Sundays, you know, at my granddad's house listening to, you know, Peruvian folk music. They would have like these big parties kind of thing. But really only one of them played guitar. Most of them were singing and playing like, you know, with a spoon and fork kind of thing. (laughs) Like, or spoons, I guess. Yeah, No forks. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, How you can make a bit of a percussion instrument or or cajon was also a, a very similar one. But, you know, I was I was young and didn't really care so much. Now I'm Mm -hmm. definitely back to all that old Peruvian music with like full swing. But um, I didn't really start playing any instruments or getting interested in in music till I was 12 Mm -hmm. and I watched uh, Back to the Future. And and when Marty McFly plays uh, uh, Johnny Be Good, I was like, oh, yeah, that's what I want to do. (laughs) right nice. <laughs> so i picked up my my aunt's guitar and uh and that's when it started like a few weeks after that i started a band with some friends from high school and and we played punk so nothing like like um like chuck berry i guess but you know it was it was what i was into at that time of life and uh it was definitely uh a, a very you know formative um uh, era in my career for sure
0: Hmm. cool so it was musician first falling in love with playing and making music
1: yeah 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 definitely like i i played i used to sing and play guitar in this punk band for since i was 12 till and we started doing some shows and it wasn't until i was maybe like 15 or 16 that that we started getting a bit more known and released, you know, uh, an EP first and then a record back when, when CDs were sold. Mm-hmm. Um, so even though we were still in high school, we were able to sell, you know, a good amount of albums through the years that helped pay for school and university and all that stuff. Um, and in that process is that I started getting more interested in in recording and, and, you know, and producing and all that stuff, because I was writing most of the songs in this band anyway. And when I was writing, I had an idea for what I wanted drums and bass to do. So, so then when I got into the studio, it was mainly the curiosity that, um, that, you know, steered me more towards towards all the other stuff that I do now.
0: Mm -hmm. For sure. How, when do you remember who the first person outside of your own band was that you worked with to produce?
2: Huh. Um,
1: That's a great question. What was my first producing gig? (laughs) I guess it was, it must have been an artist. uh, Her name is Melissa Miroquesada. She's an artist from Peru. And uh, after, like, So when I finished high school, I was I was very active in the scene uh, with my own band and and uh, and then I went to school for music. But then after a few, I I think less than a semester, I I was not liking it so much, Mm -hmm. you know, like I was playing punk. So so learning about, you know, harmonization, I I didn't have that curiosity yet. You know, Uh, it, it seemed like it was taking the fun out of it a little bit. Mm -hmm. Uh, so i switched careers and then when i started doing sound engineering i was like okay this is exactly what i love Mm because it has a lot of math and and uh and engineering and physics and and all this stuff that i didn't do well in school with like in high school but but now applied to sound i was completely hooked Um, so the first projects were obviously just like school projects you know we would bring bands and and these bands were some, some of them different uh, genres as well. So I was anti-salsa at some point in mm-hmm. my you know teenage years. But then recording like a salsa ensemble for a school, all of a sudden I was like, OK, I, I'm understanding now what each of you are doing and how the whole thing comes together. So yeah. I started being more open to different genres. And then, and then uh, I started first doing live sound for some of the bands that were playing with us mainly because when we were put at shows, uh I had a better idea of how to make it sound like I wanted it to to sound. So I would do sound check for our own band and then also mix the other bands that were playing with us. Um and then when it came to the studio, I started working at a studio called Star Factory back back in Peru and, and uh and one of the first projects I, I, I wore the producer hat for was uh was this artist Melisa. And it was great it was awesome like at first it's always like it's a weird it's a weird um feeling when someone's showing you their song they say what do you think and and then you know that opens up this whole pandora box of learning you know how to be a bit of a psychologist and and Mm -hmm. and you know how to pace things and when to say things and what things complement and what's too much and what's too little it's like you know it can be a bit overwhelming at first but um and to this day, you know, it, it always, it always feels kind of weird, but I'm glad that it has started and that I'm still able to do it.
0: Mm-hmm. That's interesting. I've never thought about the role of a producer as a psychologist as well. Can you say more about that? Like what you see your role as a producer as?
1: Yeah. Well, the, the main descri- description of a producer is, is, is to try to accomplish the artist's view. You know, or like their goal with their record and what they're trying to do, uh, while getting the best out of them. Mm-hmm. You know, and and music is, and, and this is also from my own experience. Uh, music is one of those things where um, it's it's very emotional and it's very uh, and it's very like it shows a part of yourself that that can be very vulnerable as well Mm -hmm. so for example something that i learned early in my producing career was never to say even though my ear takes me there right away to say oh this song sounds just like this other song right like that (laughs) that was one of the first thoughts that came to mind whenever someone shows me a new song was like oh yeah this sounds like this the chorus of this song sounds like this other one and in my head in my you know young head uh it was almost like i wanted to to be like i wanted people to know that i had realized that and and that in a way would be like oh yeah thanks for noticing that but then later on i realized that well that's actually making now making them feel now insecure and doubting every decision that they're making for example you know uh maybe they didn't realize that that song was similar to this other song and now now you've completely destroyed their world you know (laughs) Um, and, uh, and also one of the advantages in my case, at least from playing different instruments is that when you're working with a band, especially, it's a bit harder because, because each player has their own personality, you know, and, and obviously these are generalizations, but, but most drummers are going to have certain, certain things. So you need to know how to address those drummers, you know, like for example, um, the hi-hat is an instrument that bleeds into most microphones so if the drummer is really heavy hitting the hi-hat you know as a mixing engineer in this case that you're gonna have to fix a lot of that but if you tell them to play quieter 70 percent of them are gonna be offended (laughs) and and that that you know being offended comes also from being insecure you know Mm -hmm. or if they're speeding up or slowing down maybe they're not hearing these things so you have to really, like, try to see them and and try to figure out what's the best way to mention it uh, so that they can give you, again, their best performance, you know? Like, I never use a hi-hat microphone, in, like, maybe 5% of the time I've used the hi-hat microphone that I've set up for drums, mm-hmm. but most of the time I'll set up the microphone anyway because then the drummer feels like... Like it's there and it's mic, so they don't have to play it as hard. Right. Or maybe I'll crank it under, under headphones. So that then, you know, yeah. you sort of, it's a bit like manipulation, but not for your own satisfaction, but yeah. so that the project gets to where it needs to get, you know, bass players are going to have different, different attitudes as well. And, and the most vulnerable of all is always the singer, mm-hmm. uh, mainly cause unlike everyone else. The instrument comes from inside them, mm-hmm. you know, and and when you start thinking of all the little things that are required to sing from your breathing and your your throat and your diaphragm and your your emotions and all of that is like driving. Right. If if all yeah. of a sudden you start thinking that when you're driving, you need to control your food and when you're looking at and that steering wheel, you would crash if you started, you know, just micro like thinking of every little action. So. Yeah. So with a singer, yeah, that's the hardest, and uh, and yeah, it is. I mean, I've seen maybe I've seen so many people cry in <laughs> in the studio, you know, and I uh, that, yeah. oh yeah, because <laughs> you know, at the same time they're investing money, right? Like mm-hmm. it's this project where it becomes almost like an existentialist uh, crisis where they're like, well, why am I spending money on this? Who's gonna listen to it anyway? You know, yeah. does it sound good? I don't know anymore. So you have to sort of you know, encourage them um, to, yeah, to try to get, try to, and give them, encourage them and give them perspective or, or mm-hmm. bring their perspective back. I guess the thing that, that got them started in this, uh, and, and made them think that it was a good idea to put out a record, for example.
0: Hmm. Yeah. How, how long would you say, or how many groups or bands or individuals did you have to work with before you started to kind of pick up all of these little uh nuances like how to adjust microphones and i feel like that's something learned over time maybe some people would go into producing and think they'd have all these things right off the bat but sometimes it's helpful to hear about people's journeys too and how like how did you actually come to know these things
1: right well Obviously, a lot of it comes from from studying and curiosity right? Mm -hmm. Uh, and experimenting as well, because you can you can you can look at books and you can like learn all the theory. And if you don't apply it, then it doesn't mean anything. Mm -hmm. So it's a combination of of gathering information, of having mentors as well. That's super important. I've had a a couple of them very instrumental in my career. And the other one is, yeah, it's just experience and time, you know, because obviously once I finished school, I knew everything and I, or so I thought, you know, but then, then I got a scholarship to go to the Banff Center where I spent a couple of years working with other people that were around my same age, but unlike me, they had studied some Tonmeister program in, in Berlin and they came from classical music and jazz, so they could sight read like it was no one's business. Right. And, and and so I felt very inadequate. And, um, but later on you realize that all of them felt that way, regardless of yeah. what their experience was, you know? Um, and as for the microphones, the BAM Center was very instrumental for that as well, because they would just give us the keys to the studio and they would say, you know, there's a hundred musicians here and the studio is free. Mm. uh so just you know find a project that you want to do and then experiment the only stipulation was that they couldn't use these recordings for any commercial purposes okay Uh, but then that was even better because it meant that we could experiment without the pressure of like you know we're on studio time or you know um this record needs to make it because you know if not then my career is over or whatever so yeah you know we could like set up speaker in the mountain and the microphone on the other side like just crazy stuff and now i think now if someone says let's do that like they would have to have a good budget because yeah. you know it's like okay but we need to finish this record at some point you know yeah. um but that was very important and uh and yeah like i said experience because you you mic the you might a drum kit for example which is one of the hardest instruments to mic just because of how many mics you need to use mm-hmm. and through mixing them and then comparing them to other recordings you start realizing what things you could have done differently in order to get them better so um when i worked at revolution recording for example in 2014 this is a studio where all of a sudden all the different plugins that i was using throughout my career that were emulating analog gear this is the place where they had all those things Mm -hmm. the the real ones right like it was a dream to, to work yeah. at a space that had so many toys. Um, and when I started working there, I might have not been able to right away tell the difference between the sound of a snare coming through the Neve console and another one going through the SSL. But again, through the years working there, you start developing um, what I call is like this this like like sonic memories basically, you know, mm. where then you hear someone singing and you're like, okay, this person's voice is a bit harsh. So I know that if I use this, this, and this other microphone, I'm gonna have to DS it a lot. I'm gonna have to do a lot of treatment to reduce all the harshness that I'm getting through it. So right. I'm gonna use this other microphone, which I know is darker and it's gonna work out well for that, for example, you know? So yeah. It's, it's, yeah, it's experience, it's, it's trial and error. So when I moved to Toronto, I um, I had been recording and making records and all that stuff, but obviously there were some months that were kind of slow, and uh, and what I would do in the in that time is download um, multi track sessions, which are available online from different sources, and then just mix them so that whenever I was working with someone, I'm not learning on their dime, basically, you know. Right. Uh, but again, I could say like, oh, yeah, I know how to eat you a kick. I know how to EQ you a snare. I know how, where, how to get levels for things. But but that finesse thing, you know, you need to you need to practice it. It's the same as it's the same as cooking. You know, uh, yeah, you can learn all the recipes, but you have to develop that taste so that when you taste something, you can figure out if it needs more lime or hmm. or pepper or like what kind of spice is going to get the result that you're trying to get to.
0: Right. That's such a good analogy. I like
1: that. Oh, yeah. I remember when I, because I also taught uh, mm. at Recording Arts Canada when I first moved to Toronto. And uh, people, one of the things they ask the most is, uh, is what's mastering, right? Because you talk about recording and you talk about all that stuff. And and the best analogy I came up with, with that also had to do with cooking, where pre-production, which is vital to any project, mm-hmm. uh, would be the harvesting of ingredients, you know, you can't cook uh, a you know a, an incredible meal with crappy produce and that you need good yeah. ingredients, first yeah. of all. Um, then the recording is the chopping and the cooking and all that stuff. Uh, the mixing is the actual moment of mixing all the ingredients and getting them to where they want. And then the mastering is the plating of the um, of the dish. Nice right i can give you an, anything in a bowl and it'll it'll taste amazing but yeah if i put it on a plate and make sure that the edges are clean and combine the colors and do these things so that when i present it to you at first you look at it and you're like oh that looks amazing and then you so it's a yeah. full experience and and that's what mastering does you know it's the last stage to present that to the to the uh, audience
0: love it it's perfect it's the garnish
1: <laughs> yeah exactly it's the garnish. <laughs>
0: So how have you found your work changing throughout the pandemic? I know that you've started a new business, Stream Tune Up, and you've really pulled on your engineering and producing skills to support musicians who don't also wear those other hats. Um, And you've been supporting them in navigating the live streaming world. And I'm just wondering if you can speak a little bit to what your experience has been like while you are creating this new business and what kinds of skills from your past that you're drawing on to support this new venture.
2: Right.
1: Well, I've always been curious about things and wanting to make them work and and when I was in a punk band I had a mentor from another punk band that taught me, you know, what Ours was best to put posters in the street so that the cops didn't bother you or, <laughs> you know, what's the best way to create that glue with with flour and, you know, and all that stuff. Nice. Um, and when we did the first record, it was the same thing. I, 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 I went to different places to see where I could get the design for the album and where I could get the CDs printed. And we were a band of three, but I ended up doing it all on my own <laughs> because the other guys didn't want to do any of that stuff. Um, so that, you know, that sort of uh, sparked the uh, the curiosity of wanting to do different things. Now, when I started engineering and producing, it was the same way. Um, I didn't want to produce originally. I was like, I want to engineer. And that's what I'm interested in. But after working at Revolution, where as an engineer, you're not allowed to say anything with, when it comes to the producing world, because there's a there's a hierarchy there, mm. Um Several times I would see musicians with their producers struggling over a section, for example, and, and they just keep going like, oh, but maybe it's, it's this chord here or maybe it's this other chord. And I'm just sitting there in the computer thinking like, oh, my God, this has been going for 45 <laughs> minutes. And if I could just tell them what it is, we will be over, you know. <laughs> so then that's where the oh, well, if they can do it, then why can't I do it? You know, mm-hmm. I play all these other instruments and, and why not? So. um so then, after that, I had my studio a few years later, and I was making records and all that stuff and um I was watching a lot of of the n p r tiny desk uh videos mm-hmm. and uh love the 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 relaxed you know um feeling of someone playing in an office. And that's sort of what I felt and what I always wanted to do, having been an assistant in some sessions with producers that, you know, rule with fear and all that stuff. I was like, oh, I hate all that stuff. Yeah. I never want to be that kind of person. Um, so I wanted to do something like that in the studio as well. So maybe like three years ago or so, uh, I started, you know, wanting to learn a little bit more about cameras and uh, and about. Connecting cameras to the computer and and making what I hear on the speakers go into the into the stream with the cameras at the same time uh, and do it live as well. For some reason, I also wanted to do that. I know that the NPR Tiny Desk are pre-recorded, uh, or at least I think so. Um, but in my case, what I wanted to do different was that it was going to be live. Mm-hmm. Um, and I got together with Dan Toskin from my band from the Honey Runners. And uh, and the Paris was the first man, that did <laughs> one of those. Um, but you know, Dan Dan is is great. Uh, but we had some issues organizing, you know, the schedule and all that stuff. So I sort of left that, you know, on the side till COVID started. And um, and then we had a show that night. Uh, there was a hockey. There was a hockey game going on, and we had a show at a bar right next to the uh to the arena and uh and then at like five so an hour before we had to start heading there we get a message saying that there was no game that the nhl was canceled so then we're thinking like well are we still gonna play like is there gonna be anyone at the bar if there's no game and uh and we were still supposed to go but then it ended up not happening and because we already had the night booked to play together. We said, well, why don't we go to the studio and I'll just set up a, the cameras I have. And oh, then nice. let's just stream, you know, we'll do a stream rehearsal, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, and then after that, Misha Burr-Gossman, who's a soprano that I've, I've had the luck to, to drum with her, uh, on a tour. And also I've worked with her in the studio. Uh, she came to Toronto and we did five shows, uh, on Monday, Tuesday, like that whole week. Mm-hmm. Um from the studio as well, and then Good Lovelies and other bands started coming wanting to do the same thing until uh the the um lockdown became a bit more strict and then they couldn't come to the studio. So so you know at first I was like, okay, well, what am I gonna do now? I'm about to have yeah. a baby and I need to keep <sighs> working, and these things okay. started getting kind of uh kind of worrisome, you know? Yeah. But um I had still some mixing and some mastering to do, so I was already working on, on how to do that. And I had done online collaborations in the past with people, especially being from Peru, I still work with some bands from there. So I was thinking like, oh, maybe it can be something like that. And then one night uh, I started thinking like, oh, maybe I should do like one-on-one consultations where I tell people how to do these things and at first I'm thinking, yeah, but all this stuff you learn, most of it I learn on YouTube. So what stops them from just searching the same videos you did? Right. But, but I keep forgetting that not everyone has that curiosity. And it's, it's, yeah. it can be frustrating because it's not just the curiosity. It means going through many videos and yeah. being able to two minutes into the 15 minute video, realize if that video is a good source or not, you right. know? Um, so I figure that maybe I'll start it and, uh, and then I thought maybe I'll also do a video where I explain all these things, but in my head it's like, yeah, but if you say that, then no one's going to hire you because you said <laughs> it, they can just watch the video, you know? Yeah. Uh, fortunately it wasn't the case cause, yeah. cause everyone's computers and systems and the interface they have, they're all different. and and you can follow the instructions of this YouTube thing, but it's still gonna be kind of worries. It's not gonna be uh, um, like straightforward, you know? yeah, As they'll like it to be, especially if if you've been playing all your life and you've never recorded, or you've recorded a little bit, but you've never worried about lighting, or you worry about lighting, but you've never done any video stuff, right? Mm-hmm. So it's all these different hats that fortunately I had already, sorted and and measured and and I had already to go. So yeah, that's sort of it became, you know, uh, it was lucky because then it allowed me to to be not first uh, was expression first to first to market, because uh, yeah. there, there were <laughs> other people uh, already doing that. But because of being in the music scene, it allowed me to, you know, Get in touch with uh, with Jim Cuddy, who I know mm. from Sadie's, for example, and we've been doing streams for a while with Horseshoe as well, because of again connections in the music world, um, and then keep doing this. and And uh, some of the problems that we've had is obviously the internet. You know, yeah. <laughs> uh, regardless of how how reliable it is, there's been a few super anxious inducing moments where you're about to a show that can be the easiest show in the world you already did all the video you're just pressing play and all of a sudden the internet at home or at the studio or wherever starts failing and you're just like oh my god what am i gonna do or um or even youtube like youtube was down for a couple of days a few months ago and not down but like it was acting up yeah and we had to do a video and it what there was nothing we could do it's just that that day just happened you know yeah uh, and also, the patience, because yeah. um, it is a bit like IT, you yeah. know? Uh, and where you're working with people and and uh, and a lot of them start with, I'm so sorry, I've never used this before, like, <laughs> yeah. you know, and they're so apologetic the whole time. And so you have to wear the psychologist, producer side of things <laughs> yeah. where you're like, don't worry, it's all going to be okay. Yeah. And then walk through the different things that you're doing yeah. and explain to them and hope that you know they get interested enough to actually interiorize it and and learn it cuz mm-hmm. i can i can teach you how to do it but until you actually understand it enough that you can teach it you're not going to be able to troubleshoot it if something went went wrong
0: yeah what do you think it is that makes you like the diy glue guy who has this curiosity and the courage to experiment and all of those things like what what is that in a person that makes you internalize all these things like you're saying
2: i think
1: it's a bit of of like i, I mean obviously there's people in peru that are not like that but i think it's yeah. it's a bit of like of like you know being an immigrant and okay. and having like a bit of this survival mentality or instinct you know that that mm-hmm. tells you like okay you need to figure out what to do with this you know yeah and following your gut like a lot of these things were were very gut related like mm for stream Tuneup, which is the company I, I, I started, it was mainly cause I didn't want to, I didn't want to be Guillermo Subasté, the IT stream guy or like Pacha sound to, for it to be that. So I remember that night I was, I was working on something and, and all of a sudden in my head, I'm like, I need to create a website right now. And I had this like impending doom of like, if I don't do it tonight, someone else is going to do it tomorrow and then you're done you know so that night i went to wix and started creating a website and created a logo and i was like yeah i have to have all this ready so i can announce it tonight that this is what's starting yeah um so i think yeah i think it's a bit of uh of ocd and uh <laughs> and just like the survival thing uh paired with maybe my dad never actually answering questions that i had okay. curiosity wise when yeah. i was young not because he was mean but because he wanted me to look it up and this yeah. is before the internet right, right. but if I ask like you know why is the uh sky blue or whatever he's like well we have ency- encyclopedias at home so look it up and then tell me you know Yeah. so that sort of got it started uh and then yeah I don't know just like all these different things through my life that that made made this curiosity happen and and uh yeah. Including with instruments. So I'm not a mass. I'm a master of none, basically, mm. you know, I'm not a great anything. Um, s- mixing might be like the the, the best thing, the more, most expert thing I can do, but yeah. everything else, I just do enough to understand it. And, and I'm not a virtuoso on any of them. But I think that it, it just happened that in this era, and especially with, with the pandemic, that sort of was required you know Mm -hmm. at first i felt again very oh and also imposter syndrome and all that stuff yeah um but i remember feeling really inadequate again from not knowing that much about video and, and and all these things until i did some live streams with people that were working in broadcast for all their lives and then something would fail with their internet connections mm-hmm. or with the RTMP or with these other things that I did know about. Mm-hmm. Um, so in the sound part, obviously, that's that's my strongest uh, side. But again, the combination of all those things, plus having worked on PCs and Macs at the same time, and, yeah. you know, like, it became kind of what allowed me to to have a pretty successful year, regardless of the pandemic.
0: Yeah, it's really interesting to hear you talk about things like imposter syndrome and how you've been, or you've really seemed to harness this lifelong curiosity that keeps you moving and trying new things within the industry. And I'm wondering how you see that approach as differing from someone who decides to stick in one lane and master one instrument or one particular space within the industry.
1: Well, like I'm not against people, you know, becoming experts in one thing. Like for yeah. sure, I, I I take advantage of them in a good mm-hmm. way. Like we work yeah. together uh, all the time because it's definitely necessary. Um, but I think in my head, yeah, it's just I don't know. Like it might it might come even from like previous trauma. I don't know. I might be like scared <laughs> of like of like you know being lied to or like being uh, blindsided about something, mm-hmm. you know? So I'm like hyper aware of of, of things that are happening and I don't wanna be surprised. So, so even when I go on tours, for example, uh, my bandmates always consider me to be super pessimist about things, but mm-hmm. I don't see it that way because um, I've been on the road a lot, especially with Sadie's and I've seen things go wrong so yeah. then all these things that go wrong become experience. So then I'm gonna think about all those things ahead of time and mm-hmm. I'm gonna have already a plan where like, I almost want the problems to come to me because I have solutions to them, you know? And I wanna yeah. I wanna find those solutions. Um, so knowing more things about everything allows you to have more solutions for those things, you know? Mm-hmm. So my work's never pretty. Uh, in the sense that, you know, I, I'm like my whole cable management might be awful.
2: Mm-hmm. Uh,
1: and I'm sure that a lot of people could do way better, but I get it to work on time. And, yeah. and you know, so it's more of, of that of that thing. And that might come also from from touring in Peru, you know, where sometimes mm-hmm. um, you touch the board and you get you get shocked from it, you know, but like yeah. not not static shot, but actually like electricity and, and, uh, and there's no codes for anything. Right. Right. So, so you just have to sort of make it work. So you, you've learned a little bit from someone that realized that putting a pencil between the connectors, you know, grounded the board to whatever, I don't know, like, I'm just making something up, but, (laughs) um, but it's that it's, it's a bit of a MacGyver complex almost, you know? And, um, and as for the other part, I think it, it comes from being impulsive as well. For example, mm-hmm. um, I learn how to play all the instruments I play on my own, um, but when when uh, Misha asked me to go on tour with her, um, even though you know it was. Like she's a soprano, and in the classical, in the opera world, the level of expertise is like it's nuts. Every yeah. single note, every single thing is is very scrutinized. And not only that, but we had a band of seven people plus a hundred singers on stage, wow. so it was it was a big thing. But in my head, I'm like, well, I haven't toured Canada as a drummer yet, mm-hmm. so when she asked can you do it, I just say yes, you know, and and. <laughs> And it's the same thing with almost everything I do. Like, s- someone asked me, now at this point, I've done a lot of things. And for sure, there's a lot of things that I haven't done yet. But the first time someone asked me, can you mix a jazz record? I might have never even listened to that much jazz in the first place. But I said, yeah, no problem. So, so then first my mouth gets me in trouble. And then, <laughs> and then my head thinks about, like, how are we going to fix this? So, you have two days before they send you the track, so I'm just going to listen exclusively to jazz for the next two days. I'm yeah. going to just like soak myself as much as I can in all these things. Yeah. Or, you know, even um, I've taught, like when I started teaching at RAC, there were a few things that that I knew how to do in Pro Tools, but there were four hour lectures that I had to mm-hmm. give on one thing. And, I'm, and at first they ask, can you do it? And then you say, yes, but... You know, it's not till you're there and you start improvising, um, and and like trying to come up with with solutions and 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 learning while you're doing it that mm-hmm. that um, yeah, it's a survival instinct really.
0: Yeah, is that um, say yes, learn how later something that you would recommend to other people to do?
1: Yeah, definitely. But yeah. you know, know that, and this is the case with asking for things, for example. No, know, mm-hmm. know that they might say no, yeah. but really, that's that's the worst thing that can happen. Yeah. You know, like in my head, I knew that going on the on this tour with Misha, I, I, I was fearing the whole time. I'm like, maybe you won't make it past rehearsal. Right. You know, after the first rehearsals, you realize that that you haven't studied like you've never played with brushes before, for example. And there's a couple of songs that are jazz songs that you have to, to play with brushes. Oh, my God but you make you make it past rehearsal and you're like okay that one, that first one is done yeah. and then the first show happens and you're think the whole time you're thinking well if if it doesn't work out then then they're just going to send you back home and that's that's it you know you mm-hmm. weren't i didn't have a reputation in the opera world in the first right. place so it didn't really matter yeah. you know uh, obviously i was anxious as hell the whole time <laughs> Um, so yeah, say yes to everything, but to a certain extent, you know, I remember a quick story of a party, um, Mm -hmm. I was at at the Junos a few years ago where this musician kept asking me, uh, if I play drums because she wanted to go on stage at a private party from a label. And she wanted me to play salsa with her on drums, but there was no bass player, there was no percussion. It was Mm -hmm. just this keyboard player a singer who in my head was amazing. Later on, I realized I didn't even know she was good. What if we went on stage and, you know, burned that, like that, that experience completely. Um, And I had never played salsa on drums before. So I said yes, obviously, as soon as she asked me. (laughs) And then I went outside the party and I started watching YouTube videos on how to play drums uh, for salsa. Um, and Dan was inside and he was like, Hey, come back man!" And I'm like, no, no, I need to have this so that when we go on stage, it looks like, I know what I'm doing. (laughs) Um, but then later on, I realized that it wasn't going to sound good. She also, I didn't know it was salsa Mm -hmm. that she wanted. She kept saying, uh, let's do like some Latin rhythms. And I'm thinking, okay, reggaeton is easy. I can do that. No problem. But. I kept saying like something like reggaeton and she's like no something like even hotter and in my head I'm thinking salsa and salsa is very complex it's very yeah. jazzy on drums mm-hmm. and and if you don't have a percussionist and and a bass player then it's a lot that you have to do in drums to make it yeah. work um at the end fortunately and this is saved by the bell really um she kept getting pushed. Later on, I realized that it's because she wasn't on the list in the first place. So we're trying to put uh, her in the list. Okay. And the people that were there were all friends of mine, people from the label and, uh, mm. and Jim Cuddy was there as well. He was the actual host. And then when I realized that she was trying to, to, to jump the rope, basically, and get herself there. Uh, I, I told her and it was 3am already. That's the other thing that it was late. I said, you know what, I'm sorry, but I didn't know that you were on the list, but these are my friends. They invited me here. I'm not nominated to anything. I just came because they invited me and I don't want to break their trust. Mm. So I'm sorry, but I'm going to have to go. If if it had been two hours ago, I might've done it, but now I'm going to have to yeah. go. And I'm so glad I didn't do it. Cause yeah. unlike the opera world, I do know everyone that was there. So yeah. it would yeah. have sucked to, to, uh, to not do a good job, you know?
0: Yeah. Does that happen to you a lot where you're pulled into things that, um, because of your connections within the industry? Um,
1: yeah, but I mean, maybe for the video part, I'm experiencing some of those where, Mm -hmm. you know, I'm asked to, to cover, you know, um, a recording, a shoot for some corporate thing where it's very important that the lighting and everything is perfect. And uh, and I've definitely been over my head in a, in a couple of those mm-hmm. and had to learn from it. Uh, but that's where I start doing what I was mentioning, where I start, you know, hiring uh, professionals in that, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, so I've done a few of them where I ended up hiring friends I know that have been doing this for a long time. But then I come with them and I learn as much as I can from what they're doing as well. And it feels good because then I'm employing other people in my head. I'm thinking, well, I could be making four times this, but I know I'm not worth that yet unless Mm -hmm. I have that professional capturing thing, you know? Right. Yeah. Um, But on the for playing for playing is hard because I've gotten better at at not saying yes to things I can't do. I'm very Mm -hmm. honest with what my limitations are and in the case of misha's tour uh there was that level of of you know scrutiny but i heard the record and i could play it like mm-hmm. the things that were there i can play along and i i have great memory we had charts but i never looked at them i yeah. can read a little bit but i can't sight read so i just had the charts there because everyone else did but but i learned the songs from memory i have good good sonic memory for that mm-hmm. um So I wasn't too worried from that side. And from the sound perspective, I'm not really scared of anything else anymore. Like, you know, if, if, uh, if Aerosmith came tomorrow and said, Hey, we're going to make a new record. We want you to engineer it. I would be like, great. And I wouldn't lose any sleep about it because I feel pretty pretty comfortable going to a studio and making sure that I'm going to get good sounds, uh, regardless of what the level of that is, you know?
0: Mm -hmm. Do you remember getting to that comfort level? Like, do you remember feeling a particular switch or do you think it was gradual?
1: Um, it was gradual, but also it happened when I was working at Revolution. Okay. Mainly because before I could do a lot of things in a computer, you know, but, uh, if, they asked me to do the session to tape, I would, I would be incredibly nervous because I hadn't worked with tape that much, Mm -hmm. but I knew how complicated it could be, for example, Mm -hmm. or things like, uh, in studio B they have an SSL board and, and SSL boards are from the eighties and you program them with floppy disks and you have to like, put, you know, like enter codes in order to change the automate things that in the computer you do with one click it requires you a lot more understanding of them. Um, but when I worked there, when I was not in a session, I would spend the whole time reading manuals and, um, and practicing, you know, and, mm-hmm. and like reading every manual of every device, even if I hadn't used it, I'm like, I'm gonna read so that I can use it. And also uh, while being on the road with Sadie's, we toured all over Europe and Canada and the States and uh, we didn't bring a board with us, so every every country or every venue we would go to, there would be a different board. And, and in the digital world, boards can be very different from each other. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would always ask the manager to, when they're doing the advancing for the show, to get me the exact model of everything they had and then if it was something i hadn't used then my time on the plane or in the van i would be reading the manual of it hmm. so then when i get there i know how to send reverb from the vocal you know sorry how to send the vocal to a reverb unit or how hmm. to access the graphic eq so that if there's any feedback i can take it down right away you know so i think that uh yeah it's preparedness you know it's it's yeah. it's like the, the more prepared you are the less nervous i feel and Obviously, the the next step, I think, is going to be getting an assistant at some point would be amazing. Just someone Mm -hmm. that knows exactly what I need. uh, And then I can just roll in there because most of my anxiety and my um, and my nervousness to get to to, when I go to gigs is did I bring everything? And uh, just because of how I'm saying that I'm disorganized with cables and all that stuff, that's why it's hard to pack and unpack things, too. Yeah. Um, so having someone to do that for me, would be incredible. And then I feel like I would, I could do so much more.
0: Yeah. That's cool. That's Mm -hmm. good. Well, one day, and then we'll see your name in even more places than we already do.
1: (laughs) That'd be great. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Okay. So I have a list of four more questions that I just want to kind of fire off to you as rapid fire questions. Is that cool? Sounds good. Okay. So the first is, what are your personal feelings on how technology is impacting and evolving the music space?
2: Um,
1: I think it's definitely helping people create more. Mm -hmm. Uh, Obviously, there's a whole debate on what valuation that's given to work itself. But I think that hopefully at some point You know, technology evolves enough that that people can create and we don't place our monetary, you know, survival on the kind of art or the amount of art that we make. Mm -hmm. Uh, Tools are definitely accessible now and everyone can make a hit song uh, in their basement. Um, So I think that has been amazing. And And the fact that it just keeps evolving so fast, I just can't wait for things to be easier you know like Mm -hmm. if if you can just sort of kind of like a minority report just make something that way it would be amazing you know
0: yeah the speed with which this stuff continues to evolve is both exciting and a little bit frightening um i always wonder if we leave ourselves enough time and space to consider the ethics behind these kinds of decisions and if we move too fast what will we miss Um, or what will this speed and efficiency and new ways to create come at the expense of but that could be another conversation for another day Um, for now what is different and innovative about what you offer to artists live streamers or other industry personnel that you work with
1: the plurality of it, I guess, you mm-hmm. know, the, the fact that you're getting someone that that is an expert in sound and that understands how to behave themselves in a session, mm-hmm. you know, which which is it's weird clashes sometimes when you get people that are in the theater world and have never mm-hmm. been in a studio, for example, you know, like I've been able to observe how these things work and to learn how to do them. So. So that's sort of what they're getting. They're getting someone that that is going to have your back, basically, you know, that understands that it's important that the show happens on time, that it looks the best it can look and that it sounds the best it can sound.
0: Okay. so you were ahead of the curve before the pandemic, already implementing new streaming and audio technology into your work. What kinds of tools have you adopted and learned over the past year?
1: um well i now have two computers okay um i have a windows computer and a mac computer and my my office has like five screens and i think that some of the things one of the most important things that actually not even technology related is is ergonomics Mm. you know after the first few months i really started um having almost it was not carpal tunnel but i was really hurting my wrist from working from home just because i was using the table we had there and the chair was higher and you know i had to edit this project that took me about 100 hours to finish and i had to do it in about a week and a half so i was clicking a lot yeah and uh and now like it's like you know getting these like monitor stands so that you can move them around and have them exactly where you want and And these like, you know, Herman Miller chair that, you know, is $900. And at some point you think like, I'm not going to spend $900 in a chair, but (laughs) you know, after you tried a few, then you realize how important it is to be comfortable and, and ergonomic so that when you're, if you have to access something repeatedly, it's available and it's at a good site level and, and all that stuff. also streaming software like OBS and Wirecast mm-hmm. uh, are other programs that I've, I've gotten uh, really used to using now and, and have been incredibly useful. Um, DaVinci Resolve is another one that, that's for editing video as well. Um, and this comes from before, but also making sure that you have a very organized backup system where Mm. you can access things that you've been doing because if you're putting everything on your desktop (laughs) uh, and you're doing what I'm doing, you wouldn't be able to see the actual wallpaper.
0: Yeah. Yeah. This is good advice. I don't want you to ever see my desktop. (laughs) Um, so how do you think the intersection of music and technology will evolve over the next, let's say five to 10 years?
1: Well, I mean, I know that there's a lot of people that feel very differently with regards to these, but I am, uh, I love the idea of AI mm. in the sense of like being able to enhance what we are as humans and mm. how we create. You know, we can definitely think a lot faster than we can that we can write with a pen and we can think faster than we can type even though it's faster than that. Mm-hmm. So I still sometimes feel um not intolerant but impatient with uh with how slow things are, you know, like, yeah. like oh, opening wow. a session in Pro Tool like the reason why I'm so fast with shortcuts and all that stuff is because I hate waiting and I still find it, you know, like I don't like it. Um, yeah. And same thing with instruments, for example. Like right now, I have it so that my drums are set up, and I can just sit there and hit record. Same thing with the bass and the guitar, because every time I had to start setting up something to get to it, by the time I'm ready, I'm not inspired anymore. Oh, you know, yeah. it's it's done. So um, also, I have I have I have this thing called manias, which is a uh, mm-hmm. syndrome that that causes vertigo and can cause hearing damage as well. I'm, I'm feeling great now. Um, it's incurable, but I've been able to manage the symptoms and I've been doing great these this past few months. But because of it is one of the, also the other reasons that I started getting more into video, just, you know, in my pessimistic view of like, well, <laughs> what if I lose my hearing? Then I'm oh, going to be oh, able no. to do this other thing, you know? Um, so in my head, the idea of, of having AI, or like for technology to advance enough that instead of using my ears or my eyes, I can some somehow be connected to the computer right away and and you know overcome all these things without the fear of that physical human right. nature failing. Uh, I'm all for it. Like if someone says like Hey, we've made this chip that allows you to connect to a computer and it reads your brainwaves, I'm like one of the first that's gonna sign up. Really? For sure. Yeah. No absolutely. concerns. No.
0: wow. <laughs> okay, that's great. We could get together and talk about that on its sure. own for a whole other hour. Absolutely.
1: Well a friend of mine, uh who is also a sound technician, he uh he's in the same boat, but in his case mm. it's because he has uh he has epilepsy. He suffers from epilepsy. Okay. So in his head it's like, you know, if if I can if there's something that can stop this like electrical, you know, you know, haywired to happen every now and then right. on my brain, and I'm all for it. So I think that yeah. for a lot of people that have things that sort of, you know ha- make them have a bit of fear of what could happen mm-hmm. health wise, uh, I think they're all for it, you know? Yeah.
0: Yeah. I can get behind that. AI yeah. that enhances our humanity, that that's okay with me.
1: <laughs> Where we're we're already it with our phones and everything, yeah. you know? Yeah. Like, it's it's already sort of connected. It just needs this extra step of, like, actually putting it inside of you. Another mm-hmm. friend of mine has a magnet inside, inside her finger uh, okay. with this thing called biohacking. Um, and what it does is that it allows her to do things like be a stud finder or, like, grab a cable and and know if that if there's electricity going through that cable because she feels it on her finger you know
2: oh
0: my gosh what does she do that she that she uses that so frequently she's
1: a sound technician as well okay yeah she worked she used to work at the mod club in toronto
0: wow that's cool Yeah. And I'm like so much in the world of, yeah, I got a comfy chair. That's good. That'll work with my body, (laughs) make my day go easier. (laughs) You guys have magnets and chips in your brains. Oh yeah. It's great. Well, that's cool. Guillermo, it's great to talk to you. I'm I'm super excited to see what you are curious about next because I feel like you'll follow the curiosity and keep doing stuff. So it's exciting to watch your work and see everything you're doing.
1: Thank you so much.
0: Yeah, thanks for being part of this.
1: Oh, it's my pleasure, and thank you for doing this. That's something that I haven't gotten into yet, but maybe at some point yeah, I'll have a podcast.
0: There you go. (laughs) The curiosity is sparked. It's only a matter of time.
1: Yeah, it is only a matter
0: of time. That wraps up this week's episode of From Starving to Savvy. Myself, along with the whole team at Last Draft, extend our most sincere gratitude to each of you for tuning in and giving your ears, your hearts, and your time to learning more about our guests and their unique stories and experiences. Once again, this podcast is brought to you by Last Draft, an ethical, engaging, and human story company with a mission to authentically amplify the stories of those they work with team at Last Draft thrives on real connections, empowering stories, and authentic voices. If you are an artist or entrepreneur looking to start telling your story, Last Draft offers support through evocative written content, exciting virtual events, personal email campaigns, and more. To get in touch with a team member at Last Draft, please visit www.lastdraft.ca. Again, we extend our deepest thanks to each of you for tuning in and hope you'll be back for future episodes.